it's not just that robots um, are creating new jobs. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's happening? Welcome to episode 64. Today, we're talking to Jeff Bernstein, who is the president of A3, better known as the Association for Advancing Automation. He's been advocating for the use of robotics, machine vision, and motion control for more than 35 years, and those are just a few of the subjects we'll be discussing on today's show. But first, we're going to get to know Jeff. We're going to hear about his background and get some of his thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's automation world. Second, we're going to talk about the evolving role that A3 plays in the industry and how it's fostering collaboration among some of the most innovative people in the automation and manufacturing space. We actually did an interview talking about one of their events right before COVID hit, where we discussed some of the trends that we saw for the automation industry. So this will be a fun opportunity for us to revisit some of those topics and see how they've played out in light of our new normal. Finally, we're going to talk about some of A3's upcoming events and a little bit of sports chatter to wrap things up. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, so as always, make sure to visit the show notes over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 64 for this episode specifically. I do want to make sure I give you another link, which is automate.org. That is the best way to find out everything that A3 has going on. This episode is coming out at the very start of October 2021, right before their Autonomous Mobile Robots and Logistics Conference in Memphis, Tennessee, where I'll be heading on October 12th through 14th but honestly they always have great events going on they have automate going on in detroit that's june 2022 their business form that they do every year which is uh, towards the end of january beginning of february so check automate.org to find out what events might be going on they've always got something new on the horizon with all that said i've been talking about a3 quite a bit but you really want to hear it from the man leading the group himself let's get you introduced to jeff Bernstein. All right, Jeff, it's good to have you here. And, and as we were talking about before we hit the uh, hit the record button, my first question for you has to be, if we were having this conversation in person, where would that be? What bar, brewery, or restaurant, wherever it is, right, we'd be having this discussion? Well, I'll give you a place that I think it would be based on what's going on in my life right now. It would be the Zigzag Cafe in Seattle, Washington. I was just there the other night. Um, was in Seattle over the weekend because my oldest daughter got engaged, and uh, it's a it's a bar that I've always loved. And uh, now I'll have even more special memories of it because I was visiting there uh, the weekend my daughter got engaged. So great bar, great vibe, really relaxed. Uh, I'm big into whiskeys, and uh, they have a great selection. All right. Well, first of all, congratulations to you and uh, your daughter on her engagement. That's definitely a happy way to uh, start this interview. So 
Let's say we're hanging out at the at the Zigzag Cafe. We're we're having some of your favorite whiskey, and uh, someone comes up to you and they ask, "Hey, Jeff, I know you're the president over at A3, but what does A3 do? How do you describe that to someone as if you're having a drink with them at a bar?" You know, we work to help people successfully apply automation. So if a company's thinking about, hey, I, I need to automate to become a stronger competitor, I don't know how to do it. I don't know who to turn to. They can turn to us. We'll tell them, hey, these are the companies that make the equipment you need. These are integrators who can integrate it. These are conferences you can attend, trade shows where you can see all the equipment. So uh, we're a really great resource for people who want to automate. Additionally, if you're in the industry, you know, we can connect you with people. And one of the biggest values of the association are the networking connections that we can facilitate. Whether you're looking to meet a user or a supplier, we know a lot of people. Yeah, and I can personally attest to the networking aspect of that, having been, you know, let's say peripherally involved with your organization for a couple of years now, just the folks I've talked to after your A3 business forum, the events I've been involved in, it's a high caliber group of people over yeah. there. So if, uh, you know, I I've got a question if I were hanging out with you at the bar as well, since you have spent 35 years in this industry, my question for you would be, what does it take to be a leader in automation and robotics in this day and age? Let's start off with that big one. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you cut it down to 35 because it's actually about 40 now. And um, oh. I prefer it at 35 because <laughs> it seems like, my gosh, been in this industry my whole life, which has been great. I mean, I think I've got a unique perspective on it. And right now, what it takes more than anything to be a leader in this industry, flexibility. I mean, nobody could have foreseen what was going to happen when the pandemic hit. Okay. And you really had to be agile to navigate your way through it. And now uh, company leaders are facing the supply chain issues as well. So you've got a lot of things going on that make things difficult at a time when more and more companies are interested in automating. So figuring out how to, you know, get in touch with people virtually as opposed to in person or figuring out how to take their order and deliver it. These are challenges that industry leaders have. I, I love that answer around flexibility. In fact, I was listening to one of your other podcasts that you appeared on earlier, and you had mentioned, it's not that what the pandemic did completely changed the course of what companies were doing. In a lot of ways, it just accelerated what they had to do with digital transformation. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think a lot of these trends were in place. Companies recognize that they're going to need to automate in order to stay competitive. But the pandemic created some new needs, right? Social distancing. How do you operate your facility if people can't come to work? Um, so there are a lot of new challenges there that I think, you know, company leaders looked at that and said, now's the time. We really need to move forward. And we're going to talk a little bit of pre versus post pandemic as we get a little later in the interview. But first, before we do that, Jeff, we got to get to know you a little bit first. And, okay. and I see you're wearing, you're wearing your Michigan shirt today. You went to the University of Michigan where you studied. And for those watching the podcast, you can see him uh, flashing the big M there, uh, watching the video, I should say, of this recording. So 
But yeah, you you studied English uh, language and literature. So my big question is, how did this lead you to a career in automation? That's a really great question, Chris. And, um, you know, a lot of people think that English majors are, you know, not really cut out for a lot of things. And people who apply to our organization, if they're English majors, you know, they go to the top of the pile. And the reason is, is because, um, you know, that discipline allows you to read and write and make comparisons between things. And um, I wanted to be a sports writer originally and uh, thought that that would be my career path. But right as I was getting ready to graduate college, a friend of mine said that there was an opening for a public relations person promoting downtown Detroit. I didn't have a job. I wasn't certain what I was going to do when I graduated. So I took that job and uh, really found that those skills that I got in reading and writing and talking about things, right, communicating, essentially, kinds of things that you do, um, were really well suited for this job of public relations. And so I promoted downtown Detroit for a while. A couple years later, ended up at the Society of Manufacturing Engineers, knew nothing about manufacturing, nothing about engineering, but they needed a PR person. And I really enjoyed it because it was right at the moment when robotics was supposed to be the next industrial revolution. So we're talking now um, very early 80s, okay? I went to work for SME in 1981, 40 years ago. And the robotics group, all this attention on robotics, I was spending a lot of my work day dealing with robotics related issues, learning a lot. And, um, you know, ultimately when that group broke away from SME in 1983, I decided when offered to go join that group, this breakaway group of, I was employee number five, leaving an organization that had, I think around 300 people at that time. Um, and I think I made the right decision. Well, it's cool that how, how one thing leads to another. And uh, I think it's great that you bring up the importance of being able to communicate in this regard. In fact, I've gone on record in conversations, maybe not on the podcast before, saying that my junior year of high school English class was one of the most impactful courses I ever took because for the first time in my life, the writing requirement wasn't has to be at least three pages. It has to be at least five pages. It was it has to be less than one page. So every <laughs> sentence, every point counted. And uh, while I can be verbose sometimes, I think that that taught me some big lessons. So um, you spurred that to memory and going from PR to the Society of Manufacturing Engineers to robotics, great journey. And, and as we get more into A3 in our conversation around the Association for Advancing Automation, my next question is more current day. And recently, spring 2021, you merged a number of organizations that had previously all been under the A3 umbrella, right? The Robotic Industries Association, uh, Advancing Vision Imaging, AIA, uh, Motion Control and Motor Association. So why now? Why was it important to bring these groups together at this time? It was something we've been working on for several years. And the impetus was that a user needs a solution. The solution often involves robots, vision, motion, AI, and other technologies. Why should they have to join multiple 
name dissociation. So companies would come to us and say, well, I'm involved in all these areas. What do I have to do? Well, you can join the one that you're most interested in, robotics, and we'll give you a discount on the other two. And it was very cumbersome. And some companies said, well, let's take companies like Google or Microsoft or Amazon. And they said, we're really, all of these things play into our arena, make it simpler. Now, it sounds simple to make it simpler, but you have a history of uh, an association like RIA, which had been around with that name since 1974. AIA had been around with that name since um, 1984. So this was not an easy thing to accomplish, to make sure that each um, association understood the benefit of coming together with a single name, Association for Advancing Automation, that we weren't taking anything away from that technology sector or from that group of companies who were a part of that technology sector, that actually we were enhancing it, adding more opportunities for them to connect with a broader range of companies, to reach more people through our website, to have bigger events. And so ultimately it took a few years to actually put in the mechanisms to do that, to merge all the websites into one, to do the branding necessary. And I'm proud to say that it came out very successfully as we uh, have you know, close to 1100 member companies right now. Well, in my mind, it just makes a lot of sense, right? Because in this day and age, you can't have a conversation about robotics without automation. You really can't have a conversation about that without vision systems and imaging as well. They all tie together. So it uh, maybe it's a little coincidental that it came, you know, took finally came together during the pandemic when maybe it was most important since you mentioned you've been working on this for a long time before that. My question is, now that these groups are together, you know, you've had about six months runway, which is a relatively short runway in the grand scheme, but a runway nevertheless. How has this been working? Have you seen an impact yet by doing this? Well, I mean, you're certainly seeing uh, lots of traffic to the website. Now it's easy to go from one technology sector to another. You don't have to leave and go to another site. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been a big plus. You're seeing a lot of interest in the virtual events that we held during the peak of the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, we had over 8,500 people at Automate Forward. That wasn't a robotics event or a vision event as mm -hmm. we had previously held. That was an automation event. Um, and now, of course, as we move into live events like the uh, Autonomous Mobile Robot Logistics Conference coming up in Memphis or Automate or uh, any of the other live events that we have planned, it's opening up all kinds of opportunities for each of these technology sectors to be represented together. So I think it's it's off to a very strong start. Are you seeing, and this is kind of aside from the, the website logistics as well, are you seeing more collaboration between the people that might have stuck in their silo in the past, but are now, um, are they having broader conversations, more collaborative conversations that are ultimately helping your mission of advancing automation faster? Yeah, I definitely think that's the case, that there, there's more discussions on broader issues. How do we together, as a group of member companies of this organization, um, have the biggest impact in encouraging companies to automate? And so that thinking now is, is much broader in terms of what the association should be doing that will add value to members. And, and some of that uh, those discussions will start to uh, bear fruit very soon.
Well, some of the things that you mentioned in that answer feed right into the next question I'm going to ask you. And, and this is a long question, so it's your option to break it up into little bits and pieces if you want. But this is not the first time we've talked about A3 on Manufacturing Happy Hour before. In fact, it was literally right before the pandemic in 2020 that uh, we did a little reflection on your A3 business forum, which took place at the start of 2020. And my guest, uh, Michael Sullivan um, from Miller Resource Group, who's I know been very close with your organization in the past, uh, had given three takeaways from that event. And his three takeaways were, one, people finally seem to be on the same page that automation and robotics are job creators, not job killers. That was number one. Number two, that there was an optimistic outlook for manufacturing over the next decade, thanks to automation, even if things were to, let's say, derail from what was expected a little bit, um, <laughs> coincidentally. And the number three, <laughs> yes. attracting and retaining talent is the number one concern for people in our industry. So you can take them one by one, or you can take it all in one fell swoop. But how do you feel about these, or do you feel these have evolved since COVID? I think all three of those are spot on. I mean, if you start with robots are job creators, not job killers. Um, I mean, that's something we've been saying since I think I wrote the first article I wrote on that um, over a decade ago. Yeah. Um, I was a lone voice at that time. And um, now we're seeing finally more and more um people talking about that. It's not just that robots um, are creating new jobs, but they're creating better jobs. They're, they're creating safer jobs, they're higher paying jobs, jobs that people want to do. Nobody wants to walk six miles a day in a warehouse or lift heavy objects all day long or be in a dangerous work environment um, to make a paycheck. No, nobody wants to do that. So companies now are having automation do some of those tasks and people oversee the uh, operations or, um, you know, program or, you know, collect data or all kinds of things that add more value than the types of tasks that the automation does. So we think that, again, not just that there will be more jobs, the jobs will be better. Um, of course, during the pandemic, it was, if there hadn't been automation, a lot of companies would have been in, in deep trouble because they wouldn't have been able to be up and running all the time. So the jobs issue, 100% agree with uh, the observations that were made. Um, now, the second one was manufacturing having this long uh, period ahead of growth. And um, yeah, we see that as well. Um, the additional part of that is we see more manufacturing moving back to the United States or near the United States, to Canada or Mexico. And why is that? Well, I think companies had a long experience with shipping their manufacturing uh, to China or elsewhere and realized, you know, if you were doing it because you thought the costs were lower, um, it may turn out that they're not actually lower because of the time involved of getting the product back in terms of the concerns we have now about supply chain issues, in terms of intellectual property. There's a lot of reasons why manufacturing in the U.S. with automation or in Canada or Mexico 
is a better plan than trying to chase low-cost labor around the world. And again, this is something that we had been talking about for a long time. And now we're starting to see more of this happening, more manufacturing coming back um, either to the United States or close by. And I think that's a trend that will continue. The other thing that's going on there is, you know, aging populations, people who have been working in manufacturing, um, many of them are retiring. Who's going to fill these gaps? That's where these two issues come together. That's the third point that you had in those observations, the talent issue. How do we prepare the workforce for the jobs of the future? What are we doing to recruit, retain um, people to work in manufacturing or work in jobs that involve automation? Is it going to be all four-year degree people? That's not going to work. I mean, we're going to have to make it so that we have skills that uh, are available at technical schools and community colleges. That's going to be an important ingredient. Is it going to be only STEM type jobs? Well, that's not going to work. It's going to leave people like me behind because I'm an English major. What's in it for me? you got to find a way. Maybe it's in the design. Maybe it's in the communications, the marketing. What are the jobs that everybody in society will see? Hey, if automation is growing and these are roles that are available in automation that I can do and that I'm going to be prepared for. And it's not going to happen just when I leave school. It's got to happen at school. We've got to do this early on in the educational process. Now, everybody talks about the first robotics and VEX and all these things. They're all great programs. But many of them, most of them, I think, are after school. They're extracurricular programs. How do we incorporate this into the actual school day where children are learning about robotics and automation and what the jobs are associated with them so that it's not something after school? And I think these things are really important and we have to work on each of them. And it doesn't happen overnight. You don't change the education system overnight. But in an increasingly automated world, we have to have talent. And this is the way you have to go about it. Wow. First of all, great job capturing all three of those questions that I asked you. I have a bad habit of asking big questions, but you nailed each of them. Going from, uh, you know, not just creating new jobs, but better jobs, moving manufacturing back to the U.S. I love that observation about uh, being extracurricular activities right now around robotics and first robotics. How do you build that into the curriculum to ultimately fill a lot of these roles that might not all be four-year degree jobs, like you just highlighted? Is, is there anything in those observations or anything you're seeing as, as the fearless leader over at A3 that, that you'd add to that as well? Something else you're seeing is a big trend right now. Well, we're certainly seeing a, a lot of changes in how the technologies like robotics and AI and machine vision are being used. So traditionally in the United States, about 70% of these technologies, at least in robotics, went into the auto industry. Okay. The big change that's occurring right now is that the non-automotive or general industry sectors of the market are equal to or greater than, in many cases, the automotive sector. That really tells you that something different is happening. So whether it's agriculture or construction or food and beverage or food processing or pharmaceuticals, all of these industries, retail, are looking at how do we take advantage of these technologies and automate our processes to become more effective. This is a major trend that uh, is going to continue for a long time. 
because every company is trying to look at these technologies and say, how do I apply them? And it's exciting. There's never been, a again, I'm speaking from somebody who's been in this four decades. I can tell you, there's never been a period even close to this. I mean, with every industry looking at how to automate, with the technologies becoming um, increasingly affordable and easier to use. And uh, I mean, this is a great time to be a part of this industry. What's um? What would you say has gotten you to stick with it so long? You mentioned you put your dreams as a sports writer on the shelf and you've been attracted to this industry for so long. So what, if you had to highlight one thing or a couple things, what excites you about it? What's what's kept you going? Well, I think the reason I stayed with the association this long and the association plays a key role. I mean, when you talk about, if you want to learn about automation, you come to A3. Prior to that, it was RAA or AA, but this is who you turn to. We are a big fish in what has been a small pond because automation all combined together is a huge number. But when you look at, you know, the robotics industry compared to the computer industry, it's a fraction of it up to this point. I don't know that it's going to be like that forever. I think the robotics industry is accelerating at a rapid pace, but we knew everybody. If I wanted to get on the phone with a CEO of a robotics or a vision company, I knew that person. I could do that. How many industries could I say that I could go to where that would be true? So from a personal standpoint, you want to learn stuff. You really want to, as I told you, I'm all about, you know, trying to learn as much as I can about these industries. Who's better to learn from than, you know, top executives at leading companies in the industry that I know almost all of them? Obviously, as more players come in, I don't know everybody, but it's that was something that was really exciting to me. People counted on the association. They depended on what we did. Many people told us if we did nothing else, just holding the A3 Business Forum was worth the price of membership because they could interact and rub shoulders with all of the senior leaders. And they built their business this way. I can tell you all kinds of people who will, would say that that it was only through going to the forum that we were able to establish ourselves this small startup or a small company as a major player in this industry through the connections A3 helped us make. And I take uh, personal pride in that. Do you, um, you don't necessarily need to name company names here, but I'm curious, do you have an example or a story you could share of where this helped maybe an established company or a young company where their participation in A3 helped them take their business to the next level, so to speak? Well, I don't like to name companies. I mean, obviously I can think of some, but mm -hmm. um, let's take certain, you know, uh, let's take end effector companies, okay? They needed to have relationships with robot arms suppliers and integrators. Well, you look at our membership, I mean, it's target rich with people like that. Um, if you look at startups, right? And startups are saying, look, we've got some interesting technology we've developed in the university lab. We were thinking about places it could go. Can you introduce us to some end users who might be able to tell us whether it makes sense what we're talking about? I can think of uh, recent cases where that's led to a company actually, you know, getting up and running. I can think of other cases of a, you know, significant startup where, through the discussions that they had, they changed direction. So the technology that they had was 
maybe they were thinking about one thing and then these discussions said, no, you know, that's not the way to go. Let's go into another sector that's nearby. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of these things that I could think of where being a part of the association really wasn't just um, something small in the development of their company, but something major. Well, one thing that jumped out during that answer is I think a lot of people might have an impression that it's like, oh, well, these associations are for established companies. But really, a lot of your answer was around helping small companies that are just getting into this space right now um, either get established or realize, hey, this is actually the direction we should be going, not this direction. So that's yes. really cool. And, yeah. and and while we're on this topic, I do want to ask, we're, we're recording this in uh september first day of fall 2021 your uh autonomous mobile robot and logistics conference is coming up down in memphis as this comes out but you do other events as well i'd love for you just to highlight what these the, you know the main events you do look like just so anyone listening has an impression of what it would look like when they show up to one of these events well i mean we do lots of events as you said uh, as we're speaking our international robot safety conference is concluding um, today. And that's an event we've been doing for over 35 years because we developed the first American uh, national robot safety standard back in 1986. So that event will go back to live next year. You mentioned the Autonomous Mobile Robot and Logistics Conference. That was first held as an AMR only event back in Louisville in 2019. We had over 430 people there. It was an example of where the association holds events on technologies that are emerging or growing quickly. We did it with collaborative robots in 2014. It was our first collaborative robot event. That had tremendous enthusiasm. And as obviously you can see the growth of collaborative robots since that time. We try to educate people on events that are, you know, or technologies that are going to be significant to them, trends that are significant. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned, Chris, is that we launched a new uh, artificial intelligence group um, recently. And that group has its own tech sector board of directors. And we actually held an AI event for the first time, a virtual event last year. So we'll be doing more programming in AI. We talked about the A3 Business Forum, great talks, great networking, uh, really relevant issues being discussed. But then if you go a little bit further into next year, Automate. There's about maybe three shows in the world that are like Automate. There's IREX in Japan, Automatica in Germany, and Automate in North America. It's the largest representation, the broadest selection, broadest applications of automation technologies. There's no place else in North America like Automate, and that'll be in Detroit next June. Then we move on again to the fall with um, our vision show, a show that's focused uh, primarily on machine vision and related technologies. There'll be lots of other automation there, including autonomous mobile robots and AI. Um, so we have constant events going on. We did it in the virtual world. We're back to live now, hopefully for good. And um, in the meantime, we still have webinars. Constantly we're running webinars because that's a really easy way for people to get a lot of information in a short period of time, hear from industry leaders. We have a whole Automate preview series running. I mean, if you go to our website, automate.org, you'll see all kinds of events and webinars that really add value to companies looking to automate. 
Well, I'm glad you brought up automate.org because for the audience out there that's listening to this, whether this is when the episode comes out, whether it's six to 12 months down the line, I think people can tell there's always something new brewing at A3, right? So head over there, see what new events are coming up. It's cool that you've got machine learning and AI now on the radar. Who knows what new event you'll have, you know, let's say 12 months from now as well. But I can certainly say I'm personally looking forward to uh, the AMRL conference down in Memphis, uh, in October 2021, as well as Automate in June 2022. So a lot of cool things that you have coming up. It's always been fun being a part of the ones you've done in the past. I do want to ask, as we're getting towards the end of this interview, is there anything you wish I would have asked you that I haven't brought up yet? That's a really good question. I think it's probably about what the future holds. So we talked a little bit about my view on manufacturing having a big future and automation having a big future. Um, this is, you know, sometimes industry numbers go up and then they come back down and, oh, there's been a drop off. This is a long trail ahead of us. Okay. We're in the early innings. And I think people, when they think about robotics and automation think, oh, because the first robot was installed in 1961, that this must all be a mature industry. No, not at all. There are mature applications. There are spaces where the technology has got a long track record of being applied. But as you get into new industries and new parts of the world that are automating, again, who would have thought when I got involved, who would have thought even 10 or 15 years ago that the largest user of robotics in the world would be China? China wasn't on the radar screen when I was involved. Japan was the leader and then the U.S. and Europe. But now... Things are changing. There are other countries, Korea, um, you know, Singapore. I mean, um, there's so many countries looking at automating. We're still in the early days here. So these numbers are going to go up significantly over time. Will there be dips? Of course there will. I mean, you know, it's not like everything is is a straight up uh, rocket ship forward. So I just want to make sure that the people listening Uh, Don't get too caught up in, oh, you know, the industry numbers fell or they went up or they we're early on. There's going to be tremendous growth going forward. And uh, we just need to find out a way to make sure that everybody in society benefits from that. You're not the first person on the show that's mentioned that we're in, as you first said, at the early innings of automation, of robotics, of Industry 4.0, as other folks have said. Uh, But you brought up another question. We got to have a little fun before we end this interview. Where do your sports allegiances lie? You wanted to be a sports writer, so clearly you're a sports fan. And and I know you're from Michigan. Is that where it is or is it uh, somewhere else? No, it's the Michigan Wolverines, whether it's football, basketball or whatever. uh, Go blue. Um, (laughs) I'm a proud alum of the university and I uh, talk about it whenever I get the opportunity Interestingly enough, when I testified uh, before a congressional hearing, um, the chair of the the subcommittee was from Michigan. So I got to say Mm -hmm. go blue officially during the hearing. So that was exciting (laughs) for me. That's that's where my allegiances lie. That's what I care about most. Were uh, were there any sports writers in in Michigan that inspired you when you were growing up? Well, I'll tell you a story. Um, I used to be a subscriber to Sports Illustrated magazine. And this was in the days, um, you know, we're talking about 70s and 80s, 
where they had sports writers like Frank DeFord and Mark Cram who wrote these long form stories. This wasn't, you know, short digest of, of a game or a, a boxing match. This, these were long form, in-depth stories. They were so good that as an English major, I'd said that, you know, these guys could have been writing literature. Some of them did go on to do that, I think. But uh, I think the point of it is those were the people that inspired me, who made me want to be a sports writer. Uh, as I said, I actually was offered a job to be a sports writer at a, at a uh, city, you know, weekly newspaper in a city in Michigan. Uh, turned that down uh, for a technology reason. I had only in my life used um, electric typewriters, and they had a manual typewriter. When I went in for the job interview, <laughs> I, I had a hard time actually producing anything of value. They hired me anyway, and I said, you know what? I don't think I want to do this because I don't want to type on a manual typewriter. <laughs> I love that answer. Technology has clearly always been in your career blood. <laughs> yes, and right. That's one of the reasons you turned it down. Well, hey, Jeff, it's been great getting to chat with you today. I will have links to everything we talked about in the show notes today. Make sure to check out A3 Automate, the AMRL uh, event coming up, all the conferences. Um, you guys do a great job in this industry. It's been great chatting with you today, Jeff. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, Chris. Hey, thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Jeff and the entire crew over at A3 for making this episode possible. We covered a lot of ground. We mentioned a lot of events. To learn more about those, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 64 to access the show notes to this episode. Or as we said, automate.org is an incredible resource to find out everything that the Association for Advancing Automation has going on year-round. Whether you're listening to this in October 2021 or sometime in 2022 or beyond, I can guarantee that there's going to be something on their calendar. If you do catch this in time, I know a lot of you do listen to these episodes as soon as they come out. Consider heading on down to Memphis or up to Memphis or over to Memphis, where, wherever you're coming in from, to attend the Autonomous Mobile Robot and Logistics Conference. That's going to be a fun one. I'll be out there covering the event with Jake Hall, better known as the Manufacturing Millennial, as well as past podcast guest. He was on episode 41. So there will be a lot more cool content coming from A3 in the very near future. So make sure you stay subscribed and stay listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. And with that, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.